Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Thanks for joining me. Air quality is on all of our minds, in our lungs. We're having problems, some of us breathing. It's the bad air. The storms of the weekend cleared it out again a little bit, but uh, inversions will be with us. And uh, soon enough, the, uh, the bad air will start building up again. At various times, various areas of Utah are rated as the worst air in the nation. That includes this season as well. And we have air problems in the summertime. And uh, citizens in increasing numbers are banding together in a grassroots movement to try to move government officials or try to circumvent government officials who they see as not moving sufficiently on this uh, in this area. Uh, and uh, to that point, you probably saw the report uh, last Wednesday. There was a rally at the state capitol. And uh, there's a picture in the Tribune, a man wearing a gas mask. Uh, you see a lot of people around uh, wearing face masks. And we're all wondering what we do about this. So the questions we're throwing out to you are, what are some ideas to uh, to reduce uh, the air quality problem? Uh, can citizens bypass government, or should our focus be on getting government to do something? And if so, what? We bring in, uh, on the line with us, University of Utah student Carl Ingwell, who was one of the people behind that uh, rally at the state capitol, and his Facebook petition, our initiative, Let Governor Herbert Know That We Can't Breathe. Mr. Ingwell, welcome to the program. Thank you. I uh, appreciate you joining us. We also are joined by retired administrator Marjorie McCloy. She has a petition uh, out there, interesting petition to, to Governor Herbert, Clean Up Our Dirty Air. Uh, she's uh, saying Governor Herbert should follow the advice of more than 60 physicians who requested that he declare a public health emergency in Salt Lake and surrounding counties due to the prolonged inversion. Uh, Ms. McClory, welcome to the program. Thank you. In studio, we have with us uh, Professor Jean Laun from uh, Utah State University. She has a very interesting idea. She's uh, getting a, a uh, online drive uh, uh, I think at this point, an uh, email drive, but uh, it'll take whatever uh, form it needs to, uh, to uh, seek contributions from people, understand, Professor, uh, to get up some money to uh, do a competition to see if we can come up with some ideas. Yeah, I think that we need to tap into the best brains that we have and on our campuses. We should do this statewide, but I can just try to start something here at Utah State. Tap into people's brains. What's the best way to approach this? And you say in your email that we need to uh, we need to get to involve some behavioral psychologists. So I think you have with our other professor from USU uh, here, Amy Odom. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. You were telling me before we went on the air, uh, Professor Odom, that uh, you probably represent a lot of people who are sort of been wondering about this, but are kind of stuck at what to do. Yeah, I think uh, the other day I was really struck. I was thinking to myself, someone should really do something about this terrible air quality. And then I realized maybe that's us at this point who need to do something. So I'm just in the beginning phases of thinking about how I can bring my expertise and try to get other people in the community, whether they have were born here, whether they moved here as adults, to start thinking about what we can do. Hmm. Well, and we'll come back to you to talk about that interesting, that, that that important line, because a lot of us are, you know, grousing about it and wondering about it. Uh, what do we do about it? And a lot of times you just put it away. It's just, you just too much to deal with. Uh, you have an interesting quote, Mr. Ingwell, in the Salt Lake Tribune. Um, you said the idea for the campaign uh, came about when everybody you were talking with was talking about this, dro- joking about it, grousing about it. And then you say, I got to thinking, why is there such a disparity between public opinion and public policy? So that's that's the pressure point that you're trying to push, I guess. Uh, yeah, that's correct. Uh, what I, I just think that it that it is a big issue here. Um, I, I'm personally in the along the Wasatch Front, um, but it is a big issue here, and it sounds like it, it's a major issue up there in Logan too. And uh, people care about this, and it's it's just that um, the government seems as if it's not so much. Um, so. My, my goal was was to try and just you know let let our government know that we do care about it and we do want to see some change and that they are our elected officials and uh, we'd like them to to work on the issues that that we're most concerned with. So what what do you want? Uh, I think originally you were going to jam Governor Herbert's uh, voicemail box and such, and then you thought you got together, I think, with Ms. McClure and, and, and uh, Ms. McCoy, uh, uh, sorry, and uh, decided to have a rally. Uh, what what do you want Governor Herbert and other officials to do? 
Um, I, I just want them to uh, look into some policy changes that would positively in, uh, influence our air quality in Utah. I, I think it's as simple as that. And is it your feeling that the air quality is not sufficiently uh, high as a priority? Um, that is my feeling, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's up, up until this week, uh, the legislature um, hadn't even looked at it. There are some, some bills that are, are, um, have been sponsored this week, and I'll be interested to, to see where those uh, get us. So, so keep an eye on that throughout the week. Hmm. Tell me about the rally. Was it as successful as you, as you wanted? I, I think it was successful. I, um, we had 150 to 200 people there um, that were all really energized to, about um, improving our air quality and, and uh, letting our government know that um, we, we wanted some, some air quality improvements. And it was a good time. It was a lot of fun. It was a great learning experience. And we'll have to see how well received it is by the, by the um, people we are aiming it towards. Did you did you have interaction with any government officials? Were you able to talk to anybody of that kind? Uh, we were not, um, other than the the um, the lady that was the head of constituent services. Uh, she received Marjorie's petition, and Marjorie can probably actually talk a little bit more on this than I can, because mm-hmm. um, she was the one that was actually uh, delivering the petition and. Um, so, yeah, I think that question is, is uh, better for her. Let me uh, turn to uh, Marjorie McCloy. I understand you're a, a retired administrator. Yes. Uh, and on your petition, you have a petition background. Um, by the way, this is, you can find this on signon.org. Uh, you say, I'm a healthy, a fit, 64-year-old woman, yet I'm wheezing and coughing from our filthy air, and an X-ray now shows I have irreversible lung damage. You're, you're one of those that has, has really been physically affected by this. Uh, yes, I am, and, and that along with the, when that happened to me and I around the same time that I saw the letter from the physicians, which is now has over 300 signatures. It had 60 when it was first delivered to the governor, but now it has over 300 these are pulmonologists, cardiologists, pediatricians, emergency room physicians. When I saw that that petition had been ignored and I read the petition, I just thought to myself, you know, I just can't stay silent anymore. So somebody has to do something. The government's not doing anything. Somebody has to do something. So, so, so tell- I, I started that position on signon.org. Mm-hmm. It gathered more than 1,000 signatures a day. Mm-hmm. So what are you up to now? Uh, well, the, the the cutoff date was the rally. I, ah. it, the, the position, the petition is still open, um, but uh, at the day of the rally, we got another thousand or so signatures. When we delivered it, um, it was at seventy three thirty one. Now it's at about eighty seven eighty eight thousand seven hundred, but it hasn't gotten much since the the rally because that was really the mm. flashpoint. But as Carl was saying, uh, I had made an appointment with Alan Matheson, the um, senior environmental advisor to Governor Herbert, and we went to deliver the petition to his office at the appointed time, and he was not there. And um, eventually, it was it was very um, disorganized. There was the one, there was only one person in the office. She was on the phone. Uh, eventually, the constituent services woman came out and took the petition. But um, then we had a large group of energized people, as Carl was saying, and they wanted to do something. So we went upstairs to see if we could actually enter the legislature, but we weren't permitted to do that because we were carrying signs and we were just a little bit rowdy, I have to say. (laughs) And so then someone um, saw Lieutenant Governor Bell entering the office downstairs. So we all went down to his office and we asked to speak with him. And he, I, I, I would say, he literally ran into his office and closed the door and refused to come out. Wow. So we felt, we felt quite disrespected. Hmm. And I, um, the next day I, I emailed uh, Mr. Matheson asking him why he hadn't been at the appointment and explaining that we didn't feel good about our treatment at the governor's office. And I didn't get a response from him until about four days later. So I was surprised that it took him that long to respond. When he did respond, it was a thoughtful response, but I, I still felt overall the um, the feeling that I was left with was that we were a nuisance rather than an important part of the constituency. So it sounds to me like you're feeling this disconnect that uh, Mr. Ingwell was feeling between uh, public opinion, public unrest, public anger, and, and public policy. 
Absolutely. Um, one of the things that's been bothering me is that Governor Herbert uh, keep his his response to the rally came via Twitter because he was in Washington D.C. that day, and his only response was that it was everyone's responsibility and that it was up to the people who drive their cars to do something about it. So I, although I agree that it is everyone's responsibility, we need leadership from the government because I think we've proven over the history of mankind that left to our own devices, we're going to make the choices that are convenient to us. And although there are some people who will behave responsibly in their automobiles, that's not the majority of people. And, that, and it's the role of government to uh, impose regulations to help people act in their best interests. And, and without that leadership, that's never going to happen. So let me pose a hypothetical uh, to you. S- say government never does act, at least in the you know this the next few months or or a year or whatever, uh, in the way that you think is sufficient. Do you, do you think citizens or will be able to do an end run around around government to to solve this problem, or or is government going to have to be part of the solution? Well, I I, I, I I'm not sure what the answer to that is. I'd like to think the government would do something and. They have made these small concessions now, but it's interesting to me because when I was was pushing them to do something about idling, um, to because there already are idling laws in place, but they're not being enforced, and, and I feel there needs to be a, a PR campaign to educate people. I, it, it's going to be hard to enforce idling restrictions, but if there's a PR campaign so people understand why idling is bad for the environment and also bad for their cars and their pocketbooks, maybe something would happen. But Matheson's, Mr. Matheson's response to that was idling is 1% of the air quality and it's not worth trying. On the other hand, they want to restrict the sale of hairspray that has chemicals in it. Now, tell me that's not less than 1%. Mm-hmm. So they're coming up with proposals like shutting down the open-air grills and or restricting the um, emissions from open-air grills in restaurants. Good idea. I mean, I, I agree it's, all the, it's an all-of-the-above approach. But the all-above approach has to include greater restrictions on the big polluters like Kennecott and Holly Refinery. Not not to say that um, these people can't have their expansions if they need to, but in that case, then they have to prove that there's not going to be any more net emissions. And and those emissions have to include the motor vehicles that are delivering the crude to the refineries. Um, As far as I can tell, those... Um, the collateral damage from the diesel trucks has not been included in the percentage of emissions. But that's a big question to me. Every time you see figures, they're different. The government says industry only commits 11% of emissions to the overall mix. And I see other reports that say it's up to 50 or even more than 50%. So I'm not trying to say one person is, you know, lying and the other person isn't, but we we need to have somehow we need to get an unbiased opinion as to what is the actual mix here, because we don't have any kind of a road plan without that. How do we know how to address the problem if we don't know exactly where these pollutants are coming from? We uh, are talking about air quality, obviously, on Access Utah. We talked about this a week or two ago, uh, and uh, today we're focusing on this uh, grassroots movement. seems to be a growing number of citizens just uh, taking this issue, uh, trying to take it into their own hands. They see inaction from their point of view from government officials, and uh, this was expressed in a, a rally at the state capitol organized by University of Utah student Carl Ingwell and a retired administrator Marjorie McCloy. Uh, they have a Facebook initiative and uh, an online petition, respectively. Uh, and uh, we are also talking with uh, Gene Lown and Amy Odom from the USU faculty. Gene Lown has a very interesting proposal. Let's uh, get together some money and do a contest. Let's see if we can get some ideas flowing. I know that uh, Gene Lown has been uh, anxious to get on the conversation. We do need to take a break. When we come back, we'll, uh, we'll let Professor Lown uh, jump in on some of the points that uh, Marjorie McCloy was was making. I understand, uh, Carl Ingwell, you, you need to leave us by about uh, 930, so we'll get you in on the conversation again as well. Uh, We're bringing you in as well. We'd love to have your comments. What are you feeling on this issue? Are you feeling the same frustration? Perhaps you're uh, having the same health problems or similar to uh, what Marjorie McClure was describing. She's she's got irreversible lung damage from this uh, bad air. 
Um, and uh, do you share this frustration with the inaction from government? Should citizens bypass government? Can they? And uh, what are some good ideas that you can throw out there? 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or upraxis at gmail.com. The places to contact us back after this break. UPR is celebrating 60 years of broadcasting with a mug contest. Submit your artistic creations for inclusion on the next UPR mug at upr.org. Identify UPR and our anniversary with your design, then let your imagination carry you away. The winner will be selected by our listeners, and your drawing, painting, or photograph will be imprinted on the spring 2013 membership mug. For ideas or information, just go to upr.org. The deadline has been extended to February 19th. Did you know that by repeatedly tasting fruits and vegetables, children can increase their liking of these foods? To accomplish this, parents should supply a fruit and a vegetable at lunch and dinner. Small incentives are a good way to promote initial and repeated tasting of these foods. As your child learns to enjoy fruits and vegetables, the incentives become unnecessary. Make it fun and you will make a difference in your child's food choices. Did You Know That is made possible by the USU Emma Eccles Jones College of Education and Human Services. More at cehs.usu.edu. Thank you for joining us. It's Access U Time, Tom Williams. We're starting out the week once again talking air quality. And uh, the air quality has been bad. It's, it just seems especially bad this, this season. We did have a little reprieve with some storms, but soon enough inversions will build back up. And with it, uh, the uh, very poor air quality sometimes. Various areas of Utah are rated the worst in the nation. And it's really affecting some people's health, including one of our guests, uh, Marjorie McCloy, one of the... Uh, Organizers of this rally that uh, you you saw reports of, maybe you were joined joined it. If you did, we'd love to hear your experience there at the state capitol on Wednesday. Uh, so uh, we're talking with University of Utah student Carl Ingwell. He has uh, a Facebook initiative. Let Governor Herbert know that we can't breathe. So what that's titled. Marjorie McCloy has a clean air petition. That's on signon.org, uh, which uh, received uh, several thousand uh, uh, signers. And uh, that is addressed to Governor Herbert as well, uh, saying that we should follow the advice of the physicians who requested that he declare a public health emergency in Salt Lake and surrounding counties. And we're joined by USU professors Gene Lown and uh, Amy Odom. Uh, Professor Lown, I know that you were anxious to get on the, uh, in this, uh, this topic, I think, of do we bypass government? Do we push government? What, what can regular citizens do? Well, we need to do both because, you know, first of all, this bad air is affecting all of us, even though a lot of, some of us may not be having uh, symptoms right now. The research by—there's um, a depth of research out there in medical journals indicating how bad this is for us. And, you know, Arden Pope at BYU did his research showing the impact of the bad air when um, Geneva Steel was operating, closed down for a strike, operating again. And there's an article by Pope and Dockery, and Dockery is at the Harvard School of Public Health. And there's no level of PM2 that is safe. It's affecting every single one of us. Now, does anybody remember the civil rights movement? I think there's some parallels here. You know, if we want to have change things, we've got to do more than petition our legislators who are mostly deaf to our concerns here. Uh, Voters, people need to register to vote. They need to think very carefully about who they vote for. They need to express their opinions to their legislators. And let me tell you, one of the worst things in Utah is that straight um, ticket voting because people aren't thinking when they do that. I've just got a whole plethora of ideas, but I do want to bring out the idea that we need what's called community-based social marketing. And there's a website called toolsofchange.com. And this is how you get people to change their behavior. And that's one of the reasons why I asked my friend and colleague, Amy Odom, the behavioral psychologist, to come along, because she does research on uh, drug abuse and drug addiction and smoking. And a In the personal finance area, we know what people should do. We've been teaching the same stuff for decades. We tell them what they should do. But the real innovations have come from the area of behavioral psychology, behavioral economics. 
economic let, psychology. And so that's why I'd like to hear some of Amy's ideas. Let, let's let's hold those, if, if you will, for a moment. I want to bring uh, Carl Ingwell back in because I, I know you have to get going here pretty soon. Uh, I wonder uh, what what do you think the the best thing to advise our listeners to, to do going forward if they're they're frustrated about this. I know you you uh, felt that from your friends. That's why you uh, took some action here. What do you advise people to do? Um, so, so my advice would would be to engage yourself in, in democratic dialogue. Um, get get talking to uh, your different legislators and, and governor, and and uh, let them know your concerns. Mm. Uh, so, have you? Did you talk to some of the? I imagine you talked to some of the people at the rally. What what were they expressing to you? Um, you know, honestly, at the rally, I, I was being called back and forth between a lot of different news organizations, and unfortunately, I did not get a chance to talk to that many people, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Um, I, I didn't even get to see most of the this, this, uh, great speeches that it sounded like people people gave. One of the hazards yeah. of being the organizer, I guess. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so, what? Uh, finally, with you, then, what? Uh, what are you going to be doing with your with your Facebook page, and uh, what what are your plans going forward with that? Um, I'm, I'm so I'm keeping the event page open, uh, and I did start a group page. Um, what I what I'm doing is is just trying to keep the dialogue going, um, and just talk to different people. Um, I know I'm I'm interested in. Um, there's a gentleman that's that's creating a, a new report on on inequality, and I'm very interested in in seeing the figures that he's going to be releasing to us later in this week. Um, but basically, I, I'm just going to I just going to keep pressing the issue, and and I hope that all the 1,500 people that I got signed up to the Facebook event page and the 500 people that I have signed up to the Facebook group will continue pushing the envelope with me. Well, you can find that on Facebook, of course. Carl Ingwell, one of the organizers of this rally that happened uh, this past week at the Capitol. They're trying to, to push Governor Herbert and other governor officials to do more on air quality. Uh, Carl Ingwell, thanks so much. I know, I know you have to get going. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, and we'll we'll ask uh, Amy Odom to hold off a little bit longer. Sorry about that. But we uh, want to give priority to our callers. And, uh, by the way, uh, we'd love to have your take on this issue. Uh, you can call us at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, toll-free. Uh, or you can email us at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. The questions we're throwing out to you are, uh, do you share this frustration? Or not? Do you think government is doing enough or, or not? Uh, do you think if government can't be moved on this issue, can citizens bypass uh, government on this issue? And what are some good ideas for reducing air quality? And we turn next to uh, Mel and Leverkin. Mel, welcome to the program. Good evening or good morning. Uh, seems to me that we're trying to close the barn gate after the horse escape. Uh, if what we hear is true, that is, smog is caused by, number one, internal combustion engines. Uh, there's a lot of them out there on the highway. There's a bunch of them out on the railroad running the trains up and down the, the rails. Uh, we've got a lot of steam plants that are coal-fired, and I've seen some of the stuff that comes out of those. And, of course, last but not least, we have... Uh, the fireplaces in various homes. Hmm. Now, when I say we're trying to close the barn after the horses escaped, it seems to me that this, this problem started many, many years ago by issuing too many building permits and letting people move into the area. If more people cause more smog, it, it, the thing would be obvious. Hmm. So you're, you're saying uh, so that seemed would seem to imply that you you don't have a whole lot of hope for a solution going forward. Not now. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. it, it started when we started letting too many people into the area, and I'm a, I'm a move in also. I come from California, and uh, I bought a home that was already built up and used, and the people sold out, and I bought it. But the home was not built especially for me. But if the, you look out there uh, in uh, Salt Lake Valley on the south, southeast corner, a lot of brand new homes going up. That means more people, more smog, more more cars, et cetera. 
Good, thanks. Thanks, Mel. Appreciate your perspective. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Mel called 1-800-826-1495. We uh, encourage you to do so as well. And uh, we'll go before we go to the next caller, let's go to uh, Amy Odom has a, has a perspective on this. that um, we all kind of share responsibility for is that we all live here and so um, it's unlikely that people stop moving here because it's such a wonderful place to live and um, so I think it's good for us to think about how to increase our quality of life um, Mm -hmm. here and, and things that we can do given our constraints which are you know very unique the geography and um the way that we are in our living and with agriculture and the different industries we have. And so we're taking a realistic perspective. What exactly is our situation and how can we best improve it given what we have? And I suppose, you know, going back to my question of go through government to go around government, this would probably have to involve government if we, you know, this would go to planning and zoning. And, uh, well, you know, that'd be one, one solution here. Yeah, I mean, ideally, we would, we would, I think, um, work together as much as possible. And, and citizens certainly need to let um, their government know what their priorities are. But I think that can be done in a way that, you know, you can have us all working toward a common goal, which is that everyone would recognize that we would want to be healthy and, and to have as high a quality of life as possible. Mm-hmm. Let's go to our next caller, uh, Keith in St. George. Keith, uh, glad you called. Go ahead. Um, I was originally from the St. Lo- uh, George area, but my folks were starved out went to northern Utah with everybody else. And my father used to uh, have to carry an extra white shirt to work because of pollution from the coal. Everybody heated with coal. And being a businessman, he had to have an extra white shirt to change into in the afternoon because of the ring around his collar. Well, things got better. But 40 years ago, the air pollution was so bad that I had a doctor tell me that in order for me to stay alive, uh, I had an accident where my lungs were damaged, and he said, you can't live in the Salt Lake Valley, and they're never going to do anything about this. And uh, I moved down here where they have fresh air. But, you know, it, the, the problem didn't start yesterday, but people who say it can't be solved, <clears throat> we, we, we just take the cheapest course, and then we hope the air pollution will blow over to Colorado. And uh, government has to say, hey, we need to reduce the air pollution. And the people, but only way the government's going to do it is if people yell at them, because hmm. otherwise they've got too many other interests they're concerned with. Yeah, I, t- I take your point, um, Keith. What, what form should that yelling take, do you think, to be most effective? Okay, first of all, even if you start with the houses you're building, you know, you say, gee, this is an energy star house, but we could cut half the use of the energy in our homes by correct insulation and cr- doing correct building pro- processes, but they're not, you know, there are other states that require you to have a a footprint of your house and how much energy you're going to use before you put in your plans. And we don't. We throw up these uh, thin-walled homes. We know that it's going to get cold or it's going to get hot, and then we plan on burning energy to make up the difference. Hmm. Where there are decent homes where you don't have to do that. And I'm a great believer in small cars. Uh, Years ago, I bought small cars, and uh, I still buy small cars. It's just a matter of you have to say, hey, what what can we adapt to? But when I look down the road and I see a truck coming that some two people are riding in and it's bigger than my car, twice as big as my car, uh, there's a lot of ego in these vehicles, and we could do without a lot of that if we just said, hey, it's time to cut back on pollution and, and, and start passing rules where people paid for their pollution. Thanks for the perspective, Keith. Appreciate right. that. Keith called from St. George. We encourage your call as well. We have another uh, about 20 minutes left in the program. Love to have your perspective on this. We're talking about air quality, of course. We all know it's very bad, and and some points in the season has been the worst in the nation. Uh, Some people are directly affected uh, that they know of. 
And uh, Professor Lau is telling us studies have shown that even if we don't show effects, we're probably being affected by this. Um, Keith said he had to move to St. George to get out of the, the bad air. Um, and uh, Marjorie McClory is, is being affected by this. Uh, we want to fit in uh, next two callers, and then we'll get some perspective from our guests. Jen and Vernal is next. Jen, uh, thank you for calling. Hi there, yes. A couple of, of ideas, and, and the first one was, um, I'm, when I go out to the Wasatch Front, it's hard not to notice one person, one car, and half-empty carpool lane. And I do believe that some of that stems from a human need to have alone time. And sometimes the only alone time that a commuter gets is while he or she is in that vehicle. Listen to your own music. You know, don't have to have anybody who are acting you because you're in there by yourself, okay? And so it's almost a little tiny castle that has four wheels on it. And if that need to have alone time could be met in a different way, maybe it would decrease the number of people who are trying to have it met by being in their little, in their little moving cubicle with nobody harassing them. Hmm. Then the, the other thing is if you had an odometer contest, Assuming people wouldn't take the time to screw up the odometer, but I'm saying, you know, look how few miles I drove this week or this month, and you get just like a kid gets a fabulous prize at the dentist when there are no cavities. You know, someone takes his or her car and says, look, I only drove this many miles this week or or this month because either I carpooled or uh, I combined my trips or whatever, okay? And then there's a mentality in America that your car is a reflection of who you are. And um, the invernal, here we are, oil fields rolling right now, so you've got these big diesel pickup trucks, boom, 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 right there on Main Street. Um, they push that gas pedal and a bunch of exhaust from their diesel hopped-up pickup truck comes flying into the air, and they think it's neat. And so that's, a, I think, a mindset that might, um, you know, help. But we are going to end up just like Beijing if we don't uh, quit this. And uh, it's, it's, it, the, the thing with the soda pop in New York, we're trying to get the government to make us do what we know we should do anyway, and then we're going to scream because we don't have our rights and we don't have our, we should get to do whatever we want because this is America, you know. It's mm. pathetic. Thank and um, so anyway, I think that if the individual, if the people don't call themselves, call their own fouls, we're not going to make any progress. Okay. Mm. So. Um, good. Good points, Jen. Thank. Thank you for that. Appreciate yeah. it. So, and it's bad out here. Not like when you were a kid. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, it it was bad sometimes when I was a kid out there, but I th- I understand it's bad all the time now, or a lot of yeah. the time. Thing, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And that's that's one example. You know, Keith was talking about had to move out of Salt Lake Valley. It's this is now following us out to some of the rural areas, and the Uinta Basin is is one of the uh, one of the examples. There are several points that Keith and Jen made that I want to follow up with Amy Odom on the on the psychology of this. I want to fit uh, Paul's call in. Paul and Logan, thanks for calling. Uh, good morning. Uh, thanks for having me on. I, there's many items to speak to here, but I'll just go with. Uh, the most fundamental one for me is in uh, this is a public health and safety issue. And the last time I checked, that was the number one priority if you're elected to office as a politician is to protect your constituency from from health and safety hazards. And uh, I just think it's uh, it's abominable that our that our our uh, politicians here in in Cache Valley, but it sounds like in Salt Lake too, are are kind of turning their head the other way or putting their head in the sand. And, um, you know, this just shouldn't be happening. So uh, we can do things as individuals, but government has to step in and take a lead, and it's affecting all of our health. I I just think it's time for government to act. Sounds like, Paul, you you would support uh, Marjorie McCloy's petition that to uh, to support physicians who have requested that Governor Herbert declare a public health emergency. This, you, you think I, it rises to that level? I, I do, and I'm very frustrated with our government officials uh, who are saying this is just a few days a year, when really there's a there's a lag time before and after these these peak events. But also we have we have ozone building in the summer. This is a year-round phenomenon, and I'm. I would totally back 
uh, Marjorie and your other guests today. I really appreciate what they're doing, but we need to get this up to another level, and, and our government is, is not uh, being responsible. That's my opinion. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate your call. Sure. Uh, you can call as well. We have another 15 minutes left in the program. We'd love to get your perspective. 1-800-826-1495. We're asking you what should citizens do about this air quality, how to push government if you feel government's not moving sufficiently on this issue, or should uh, citizens bypass government, and, and is that possible? 1-800-826-1495 or upraxcess at gmail.com. We need to take another break. When we come back, I'm going to address some of these um, psychological issues that you might might call uh, public behavior issues to Amy Odom. We'll bring back in Marjorie McCloy uh, talking about her petition, following up on Paul's comment, and uh, we'll talk about this competition that uh, Gene Lown is wanting to get together. Uh, get some ideas. Gene Lown is saying we need, this raises to the effort, we need to get a U.S. effort uh, similar to that that beat the USSR uh, to, the, to the moon, uh, sort of a space program um, effort on air quality. All of those issues to be discussed, hopefully your call as well, 1-800-826-1495, following the break. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we'll visit several countries where Portuguese is the principal language, countries such as Brazil, Mozambique, Cape Verde, and Angola. I'm Dan Storper. And I'm Rosalie Howarth. Join us for Portuguese Around the World, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Friday at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Did you know that giving back never goes out of style? Despite all the new toys in stores and fancy holiday apps online, volunteer work remains one of the best ways to spend the season. Try service learning projects with your family this year and make some memories that you'll never want to return. Did You Know That is made possible by the USU Emma Eccles Jones College of Education and Human Services. More at cehs.usu.edu. We're talking air quality on Access U Time. Tom Williams, thanks so much for joining me. It seems like we're talking about this every week, and I think we're going to continue. Uh, this is just such a problem and, uh, that uh, people are, uh, are thinking about, talking about, rallying the state capitol about, getting petition drives about. Uh, and so next week, I believe we're going to get a, a program together uh, uh, with government officials and uh, and have them talk about this. And so sharpen your pens, as it were, there for uh, for some calls to your government officials. Right now, you have an opportunity to address uh, the issue that we're talking about, this citizen unrest, this grassroots movement to try to do something or to try to uh, pressure government to do something to uh, clean up the air quality. This is affecting a, a growing number of people very directly and obviously. One of those is uh, one of our guests on the program today, Marjorie McCloy. We go to her next, uh, again, um, who was part of this this air quality rally at the state capitol. Uh, I, I want to maybe to address this: uh, what your petition is actually asking Governor Herbert to do, and what are some of the ideas that you're that you're putting out there? You think that uh, Governor Herbert and other government officials should do? The petition, and I, I was really new to this whole process when I submitted the petition, and the petition basically asked for leadership and to pay attention to the opinion of experts like the physicians. Um, since I put out the the petition, I've, I've just received so many emails from concerned people and, uh, and, and a number of good ideas as well. And the, the, I, I agree with your other guests that there's no shortage of good ideas. There are so many good ideas that I, I can't believe if we didn't just put our minds together, we couldn't come up with something that would, that would work. And Governor Herbert keeps saying it has to be um, legal, affordable, and something they haven't tried before. Well, the third is just dead easy because they've tried almost nothing. And um, affordable, we can come up with ideas to help pay for this. One thought that I had was perhaps outdoor sporting events like the Salt Lake Marathon or the youth football games, any time where athletes are playing outdoors, training outdoors. Uh, for these events, we could have a voluntary 3 to $5 um that would go toward a clean air fund to help fund this. We could add a dollar or two onto the property taxes. I don't think there's any problem with people paying for this if they know it, that it's being targeted to a good use. People are willing to make sacrifices for their health, and uh, that shouldn't be any problem at all. In terms of the legality of it, there is a law on the books right now that says that the um, 
the legislature passed a law a number of years ago, I guess I'm not sure when, saying that the state environmental agencies were forbidden to enact any strictures uh, that were more strident, strict, strict than the ones that are already in place by the EPA. So that's just absurd because the EPA restrictions are general nationwide restrictions that apply to places like Texas that have big, wide, open spaces with plenty of air. And the geography in the Cache Valley and Salt Lake Valley is completely different. So we obviously need things that are more strict, and the legislature could correct that in a heartbeat just by um, annulling that that former law. Hmm. And and they don't even need to because the governor has the power under that law to... um, to vote in the emergency, um, public health emergency that the physicians were requesting that he do. So, you know, in his own words, he, you know, has these three um, things that really don't stand up to it if you if you actually look at, at what can be done. Let's bring in Ian and Logan, and then I want to talk to Amy Odom about some of the psychological and behavior aspects of, of this that were brought up by several of our other callers. Uh, Ian, welcome to the program. Glad you called. Yeah, thank you. Go ahead with um, your comment. Uh, my comment is, is uh, I think this is a belief that's shared somewhat in Utah, that uh, any government fix isn't one that's going to really work. I feel that government gets bogged down way too easy. And so I'm really interested in the idea of getting the, the populace to move on its own. And, I, and I'd like to hear some discussion on, and this maybe not on the show, but just I'd like to start a discussion maybe, that is on how do we incentivize people to do it on their own rather than maybe coerce them through the government. Something like a rewards program, or like you were saying with the football games, I think people are more than willing to do it. I live here in Cache Valley, and it's not fun to breathe the air in the winter. And so I want to know, what is there a push to do it just as a populace without any government intervention? Uh, yeah, well, coincidentally enough, we have some uh, people in the studio here, Ian. Uh, so uh, thanks for the call, by the way, and uh, appreciate your ideas. Let me go to Jean Lound. What, what, what is it? Detail maybe your idea. Well, I, I was thinking the other day that the legislature should put up money for grants and uh, prizes and have a contest, have a grant competition among the faculty at our wonderful universities to come up with the best ideas, uh, figure out what are the most effective strategies, and then have a competition among students to come up with new and creative ideas, get people on board for it. And that made me start to think about my colleague Amy Odom, who's a you know behavioral psychologist. And there's so many ways to get people to do things uh, Besides coercion, besides government restrictions, so I'd love to hear some of Amy's ideas. Of- yeah, let's, let's, let's hear about this. Uh, one, maybe starting with, I think this is a, what a lot of us feel is we know there's a problem. Obviously, we you know you breathe the bad air. But you know, but but Tom, you know, really, there are a lot of people that don't know. I've talked to people here. Not in the acknowledging Valley. the problem. They they. Honestly, they don't know. If they don't read the local newspaper, if they're not listening to Utah Public Radio, a lot of people don't know. They don't want to know. They don't want to acknowledge how bad it is. So first of all, you can't assume that everybody knows. Oh, interesting. Do you you agree with that? Well, I think certainly... If people aren't aware there's a problem, then, then you know, we can't be expected to act effectively if we're not aware there's a problem. Um, the interesting thing that the psychological literature shows is that um, being aware that there's a problem actually is, it can be effective for some people, but for a lot of people, just you can know perfectly well that something's bad for you or that you shouldn't. Um, you know, take exercise or eating or something like that. There, there are very few people who who aren't aware that they should be exercising or something like that. But yet, if you look at the percentage of us who actually exercise regularly, it's quite small. So um, awareness is only one piece of the picture, as Jean indicated. And the funny thing to me is I'm probably best qualified to tell you why this is such an intractable problem, <laughs> um, which is that... So there are a number of key features about the air quality that make it a really difficult problem to solve. One is that um, you have diffusion of responsibility. So any one individual's contribution to the air pollution is not that significant. So my driving my one car, you know, it's not that – it's not the entire problem. 
none of us is responsible for the entire problem. We all are responsible for a teeny tiny bit of the problem. And so my teeny tiny share is insignificant, but it's only when you put all of our teeny tiny shares together that you get Mm -hmm. a big problem. Mm -hmm. So that makes it very difficult for any of us as individuals to act effectively because no one person is contributing to the entire problem. The other thing is that the consequences are fairly delayed. So exposure to the particles or even, you know, when you're driving your car, when that actually affects things, many of the consequences are delayed. And so whenever you delay consequences, they're much less effective. The other thing is that the chance that any one of us would develop a particular problem is not 100%. So if you walked out on a red air day and instantly were struck dead... (laughs) You know, we would we would do something about it. I, I could imagine. Yes. <laughs> but the problem is, is that yeah. the chances of any one of us developing a problem, it's kind of diffuse. It's kind of not certain. It's mm-hmm. kind of delayed. It's no one of us is the particular person who's pushing it over the edge. And, and that's why it's such a difficult problem to solve. Mm. Maybe while I've got you talking about this, have you respond to a couple of our callers' points. Uh, Keith talked about ego. Uh-huh. Being involved here, you, you have a this huge vehicle. You don't need that big a vehicle. It's egos involved, right? Um, you know, I think you can think about that in terms of culture, in terms of what um, the norms are in any particular cultural system. And you know, I grew up in um, the deep south in an area where people like to drive very similar vehicles, and um, you know, so I think that that that's part of our culture here in Utah, and I think that we should think about how we can most effectively um, incorporate our local values and our local cultural understandings in a way that's healthy for us all. Mm. What about Jen's point? Jen Vernal, she talked about alone time. She thinks that uh, people, this is the only time, you know, maybe you have a harried Mm -hmm. life and this is your only alone time. Yeah. It's in your car. The problem is you're spewing out emissions. Right. Well, you know, I think that if you were in a major metropolitan area, people get alone time in um, crowded places, too. You know, they ride on the subway um, with their headphones on or read a book or something like that. And so I think that, again, it's that um, commuter culture, and that's how people may be used to um, achieving that. But there are other ways that you can have that same function. Mm. Um, But those aren't things that we're used to doing here because we have great roads and we can just drive around yeah. anytime we want. Yeah. So. Part of it comes to habit, too. It's right. hard to break habits. Uh, let me go back to uh, Marjorie McCloy. I, th- I think maybe you had wanted to comment on, on a couple things we were talking about here. Uh, well, you read my mind because I was just thinking about my daughter lives in Oakland, California, and for a while had a job in San Francisco, and there's a, um opportunity to uh, form a carpool um, and one of the rules in the carpool is that, you're, that you don't talk to one another unless you're invited to talk. The driver has to invite you to talk, and otherwise you don't talk. So this is an opportunity to have that alone time that we were just discussing and, uh, and still have carpools. So other hmm. cities have um, addressed some of the issues that we're talking about, and the Utah would look would do well to look towards some of the other cities that that have a large pollution problems and have been able to deal with them effectively and take some lessons from those. Yeah, that's part of my idea with the um, this contest that I'm proposing for USU students is that there's lots of creative ideas and different approaches yeah. out there. Let's tap into the brains of our students. Let's tap into the uh, the research capabilities of our research universities. Let's. There's so many different ways to approach this. And I there's love that so too. many, you know, I know Arthur Kaplan in the economics department is talking about pollution pricing. You know, you have to pay something like five to eight pounds, which is, you know, I think over $10 to drive into the inner ring of London. They have the same thing in Milan. And this reduces uh, congestion, mainly their goal, and air pollution. I mean, we have the the ability, we have these wonderful minds, and yet everything is kind of going down the same old, same old track. Let me, we, uh, already have, we already have emissions testing. We could... No, no, we don't in Cache scale. Valley. Now, that's, that's the one problem you do along the Wasatch Front. But our county council has been 
fighting and screaming against emissions testing oh up gosh. here. Yeah, it's it's true. We're going to have some government officials on next week, and uh, hopefully some some members of the Cache uh, County C- C- Council. Uh, I want to uh, bring in a caller, Kathleen in Springdale. We have a couple of uh, email uh, commenters as well. Kathleen, uh, welcome to the program. Yes, thank you uh, for taking my call. And it seems that the topics that have been brought up in the last couple minutes are what I wanted to address. And that is that, um, you know, I'm from the East and Philadelphia, and we had bad air. Um, And then my brother presently lives in L.A., and he says that a lot of his friends who grew up in L.A. says the air there has improved over the last 20 years. Um, However, in both of those states, you have stringent emission testing, you have scrubbers on smokestacks, and you have um, idling laws that are enforced. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that happened the other day here in Springdale was at the post office there was a car closed idling, and there was one woman inside the post office chatting, and I walked in and I said, oh, there's, by the way, no idling. And the woman, who happened to be older, you know, looked at me with scorn and said, well, I think our air is just fine here and I have the right to idle. And I said, well, there's actually a sign that says no idling. So one of the things that I've noticed about living in Utah, which is uh, a little difficult, I think, for the, the basic concepts in Utah are live and let live. We do whatever we want, no regulation. However, the population of the state afforded that kind of a concept early on. But now that there are so many people moving here, I teach in St. George, I live in Springdale, the population, I've only been in the area for the last 10 years, has already skyrocketed, and there's still this old concept that, oh, it's all going to be all right if we pray and are nice to each other. And I feel like the lessons that other places in the country learned 20 years ago when the environmental movement was more supported are just disdained here in Utah, as if caring for the earth and the air and each other's lungs is against the Republican concept of use it, uh, we have the right to do what we want, private property, private air, private whatever. So for me, uh, it's a lot about really facing up to the L.A., Philadelphia, Chicago. I mean, this is not a new problem. So there are plenty of solutions out there, but they do require government regulation because the little pieces that, you know, it's about scale. I think one of your Miss Odom said something about, you know, we're all giving a little bit, but that's why you have to have a larger scale addressing it, because all those little bits add up. And so it's only if we pull together and understand that we need to be regulated to care for each other. So that's, yeah. that's all I wanted to say. Thank, thank you. Thank so much for the show. Thank you, Kathleen. Appreciate that. Let me get in as much of the email as I can before we close the program. Charles uh, Ashurst, this is what he says. Some suggestions on reducing air pollution. Purchase hybrid vehicles. Put up solar panels. Where are our religious organizations when morality needs champions? And his last bullet point, for small engine appliances such as lawnmowers and snowblowers, choose electric-powered over gasoline-powered. That's uh, Charles. And let me see if I can fit in uh, Lisa Duskengadi's comment. I also believe this is a public health issue. I'm one of those wearing a mask these days. While the political actions are needed for the long-term answers, I think we should talk about taking measures locally to educate people about the idling of cars and the use of drive throughs for businesses. And otherwise, people can reduce their own auto or home emissions. The other day, I asked a couple of people to turn off their cars when I noticed they had been idling at a coffee shop for over 30 minutes. And I was happy that they apologized and turned their car off immediately. That was encouraging. That's Elisa's comment. And we'll have to end the program there. Uh, we appreciate uh, Jean Lown and uh, Amy Odom in studio. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. And uh, we uh, appreciate Marjorie McCloy on the phone. Thank you. Thank you. As I mentioned, another program on this next week. We'll have government officials on. Thanks for listening today.